the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Are short-term mission trips even helpful? And then, is there a single way to parent? You're listening to The Common Good. Happy Friday, friends. Welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. It's so good to have you with us on this Friday afternoon. As we close out the week, if you've missed any of the shows this week, go get the podcast. Wherever it is, you get your podcast. Just subscribe, rate, review. You can also find us online at 1160hope.com, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Common Good Talk. Really thankful. And we don't take for granted the time you spend with us, whether it's in your car, on the radio, or whether it's listening to the podcast. We are grateful for you and thankful for you. Big weekend in the NFL. Hopefully uh, you go to church on Sunday morning, come home, and then watch some football the rest of the day. And uh, yeah, this is like one of the best NFL days of the year. It's even better than the Super Bowl because there's two games, AFC Championship, NFC Championship. Looking forward to watching those. But speaking of sports, today is the four-year anniversary of something that it's weird what happens when things happen. Uh, it, It has a lot to do. And then you, for some people, you remember them. Like you remember where you were and for others, it's just another event. I guess it kind of depends on the things you're interested in and whatever else it might be. Uh, today is the four year anniversary of the tragic death of Kobe Bryant. Four years. One of the things I remember about that is uh, as you look back is it was right before COVID hit. Right, that's late January of 2020. My wife and I, I remember this. We had just the day before, or two days before that, we had just come back from our 20th wedding anniversary trip. We had, we were like off our 20th wedding anniversary. We're going on a trip and just her and I went to a, uh, went to Mexico and it was awesome. Awesome. But I remember flying home and we were in O'Hare. We we're going through the terminal and my wife said to me, it's January of 2020. My wife said, have you heard about this thing like the coronavirus? And I said, I have not heard that. I don't know what you're talking about. And at that point, we looked over and they were uh, separating some of the flights that had come in from China. And you were like, that's weird. What's going on? And within weeks, right, kind of you started hearing things. But it was that weekend that uh, that you turned on the TV or I remember being on Twitter and there started to be reports that there was a helicopter crash in um, in California. And the report started coming out, first unsubstantiated, places like TMZ, but then quickly substantiated that Kobe Bryant and others were on that helicopter. And then you know the story goes, I, I can remember where I was sitting in my living room hearing that news and then turning the TV on and watching it. And then I remember I was coaching my son's 
Park District basketball team and we had a game that afternoon and that's all anybody was talking about. For me, see, it might not be this way for you. For me, hearing about that accident and the death of Kobe Bryant is one of those where were you moments that I'll always remember. Right from when I was a kid, I always remember where I was. Everybody in my generation remembers where they were when the Challenger exploded. I remember where I was when we first heard that. And then obviously many years later, we all remember minute by minute where we were on 9-11. If you're of a certain age, where you were, what you did throughout that day and the days following, and where you were when you first heard about that news will stick with you forever. And obviously, the helicopter crash of Kobe Bryant, much different than 9-11. But I remember it striking me really deeply. And I'm a rabid uh, sports fan, right? So I know I'm probably different. I watched Kobe Bryant over the years. But I think it hit me for a couple different reasons. One, uh, Kobe Bryant and I were the same age. And so to have somebody even of your age for that to happen, and then he had his daughter and there were kids on that helicopter, and I had kids of the same age. And so the scope of the tragedy went beyond being a famous basketball player. I, I You know, there was that. You're like, what? Kobe Bryant? That is like top five most famous basketball player of our era. And to have him die that quickly in that kind of tragic, but also what seemed senselessly was wild. But then to think, oh, he's my age. I remember my I had a friend, him and I went to the NBA draft one year when it was in New Jersey. I was home from college uh, freshman year, and him and I went down to the Meadowlands and watched the NBA draft. It was crazy. I'd never been to anything like it, the NBA draft. That was the year Kobe Bryant was drafted. So I remember that. And kind of coming off of that, I think what struck and continues, there's still, you'll still see people memorializing Kobe Bryant to this day. But I think what struck so many people, and and if you're not a sports fan, but you're into, um, you know, movies, there's been movie stars who have died young or musicians who have died young or whatever else it might be. I think depending on what you're kind of bent towards, um, I think what is always so striking in those moments is the fragility of life. It's gosh, like I remember the night before Kobe Bryant died, there was uh, the Lakers were playing on TV, his old team. Uh, and uh, coincidentally, LeBron James uh, passed him on the all time scoring list that day. And I remember on the broadcast, they showed a tweet from Kobe Bryant to LeBron James in real time, congratulating him. And then the next day he was gone. And I remember thinking, that's almost too much to get your mind around. The fragility of life, the lack of control. Kobe Bryant had everything, right? He had fame. He had fortune. Uh, he was a good dad, it appeared. He was kind of moving on to the next season of his life. All of this stuff. And then boom, over in an instant. And it's in those moments... I almost said not to get too melancholy, but I think we need to wrestle with these things in general. It's in those moments where you realize I'm not in control, where you realize the book of James, life is a mist. 
and it could end at any time. You realize that story that Jesus, that parable he tells, where the, the guy has, has to build a second barn because he has so much stuff. And he says, now I'm going to put my feet up. And they say, you fool, for tomorrow your life will be taken from you. Like, it is healthy for us to think in terms of, I don't, I'm not guaranteed 80 years on this world. So what am I doing now? Am I building into the right things? Am I uh, concerned about the right things? Am I spending time with the right people, my family and whatever else? And we don't need to live in fear. Gosh, I could die today. But we need to live in awareness that we're not in control. No matter how much we try, we're not in control. And we're called with however many years we have on this earth to maximize it. To know Jesus and to make him known, to live out the Great Commission, to love my family well, to uh, make eternal deposits in people. And, and then know that when my day comes, I have eternity to look forward to, that not to get lost in the things of this world. So I do. I remember where I was when I heard that news. And it's just crazy, crazy, crazy to think about the fragility of life. It's something uncomfortable that we don't like to think about, but it's super important to think about. Well, coming up next, short-term mission trips. Are they helpful? What do we think about them next year on The Common Good? AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. My name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today. Uh, on a Friday afternoon, as we always say, if you've missed any of the show, go get the podcast, wherever it is, get your podcast, subscribe, rate, review. I want to talk about short-term mission trips. As a former youth pastor, uh, I've been on many of them, right? The short-term mission trip, this is, it might be uh, stateside, it might be international, oftentimes it's students, but often also adults. Uh, you go somewhere for a week, you link up with an organization or a church, you usually do some sort of labor. I'm going to help you paint your church or put a sidewalk in or whatever else it might be. You oftentimes run a VBS and have your experience, and then you come home. There's a guy named a pastor named Ben Marsh. He wrote this. I saw this on Twitter, and it caught my eye. He said, "My favorite international mission short uh, mission short term trip." was when I went to the Dominican Republic with a group of teenagers who spent two days with small hammers destroying stucco on a church that the previous short-term trip had put on there the week before. And then we started putting the stucco on ourselves, and we were so bad at it that the church leaders decided to hire a local who did the job and half the time, and it cost less than one flight that we took to get there. Don't get me wrong. I think there's a lot of value, he writes, in doing to doing international travel, but the idea of the short-term trip for doing some meaningful work is just silly. There's nothing you, uh, you're going to accomplish in a week that a local can't accomplish in half the time. I think this is something that uh, churches, mission organizations, everybody is wrestling with. Uh, who values from the short-term mission trip? Uh, there's a very well-known book that came out in the last, I don't know, decade or two called When Helping Hurts. And it's this idea that 
short-term mission trips, the question isn't even, are they helpful? It's, are they hurtful in any way? Are they hurting in any way? I, I, I don't tend to think so when done well, but I want us to wrestle with this today. It's a funny story he tells. Uh, but again, uh, I went on mission trips when I was in high school uh, and I went, I led many mission trips um, as a youth pastor stateside. We went to Arizona, to uh, Indian Reservation. We went to Chicago. We went to other places. Uh, but we did global ones, Mexico and in other places. When I was in high school, I went to Jamaica and we helped a pastor there. And there's great organizations that you run through. But the flip side of it is the what many people will say is that um, mission trips are uh, sightseeing trips and they are this or they are that. And here's where I land on this. I think we just need to be honest about them. That if we take the posture that says, I'm going to go and save people, I'm going to go do something for them that they can't do for themselves, that that's not helpful. That's not what you're doing. But if you're confident that that you are in some way um, blessing the pastor or the church or the organization you're going to, even if it's stuccoing a wall or laying a sidewalk or painting some houses, but if they say, hey, having you, this group here blesses us, then yes, go do it. And here's the other thing I would say. As long as we're honest about it, I don't think there's anything wrong with recognizing that a short-term high school mission trip is, more, is being done more for that high schooler than it is for the one that you're going to serve. And I think that's okay. I think, so I think about my own life in high school. Uh, my youth group took a trip through a group called Forward Edge, and we went to Jamaica. Now you're hearing Jamaica and you're thinking the resorts. No, basically all of these islands, right? The resorts are on the outer rim, but the, the more you drive towards the middle, the more poverty and the more things and the more need. So, uh, we were with this organization called Forward Edge and we, you know, they took us to this church. Uh, we slept on the floor of the church, if I remember right. And we did some work projects. We helped this pastor build something at his house and we painted and we ran a VBS at this church. Uh, God might've used our time powerfully in the lives of kids that came through and whatever else it may be. But I do, I don't know that. But what I do know is that God used that time powerfully in the lives of those of us who went there. I can remember debriefing as a, I was a junior in high school, probably going into my senior year. And I can remember in our debriefing times, kids crying, being like, I didn't know this type of place existed, this poverty. And it marked them for when they went home. I remember meeting a pastor in Jamaica who had nothing. He had no electricity in his house. And yet he was the most joyful person that I maybe have met to this day. And being challenged as a 17-year-old 
not in a sermon, but in watching this guy live. Being my, my conceptions of where joy can, comes from being challenged. To this day, when I read verses of joy, about joy and contentment, I think about that guy who, if I remember right, had no electricity and had two small rooms in his house. Uh, one room was for him and his wife. And if I remember right, the other room was for him, uh, his six kids. They cooked outside, all of this stuff. And you're like, how can you have joy? And, and yet... That marked me and in many ways is one of the reasons I think led me on a path towards becoming, going into ministry. And then I think about the mission trips that I led uh, when I was a youth pastor. Again, painting walls, doing VBSs, whatever else. We weren't transforming uh, neighborhoods. But I also think about some of the kids that went on those trips and the life moments they had. Like, I don't think we need to apologize about that as long as we are honest about it. Our church took a trip to Costa Rica probably eight years ago. My wife and I went and we chose to bring our three children at the time. Uh, we still have three children, the, the young children at the time, I should say. And that was a marking trip. It was something we got to experience as a family. We were able to support a pastor and his family over there. We were able to help him out in some ways that he wanted to be helped out. And we were able to have our kids see things that they wouldn't see here. So again, I get really annoyed by people who get on their high horses and are like, well, you shouldn't do mission trips. You shouldn't. No, you can. They're good. As long as we're all just honest about them. What are they meant to accomplish? Are we helping? Are we being invited by the pastor of that? If the pastor is like, I don't need any help. I don't want anyone to come, then don't go. But if the pastor you're supporting or the organization you're going through is saying, yes, this pastor is asking for how he wants people to come, then by all means, go. Like if you have the opportunity to go on a short-term mission trip, adult, student, whatever, go. Experience it at some point in your life. Don't overthink it, but just be honest about what it is meant to accomplish and then go like it is short term mission trips in my life have been um, they're markers in my life. They're markers. And I've seen things and experienced and had to think through things that have helped influence who I am now. And that's OK. That is a good thing. All right, coming up next, the Gospel Coalition talking about something called gentle parenting, asking if it's biblical. Going to talk about that next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everybody, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. Hopefully you're having a great Friday, looking forward to a good weekend. I don't know what you're doing this weekend, but hopefully it's it's life-giving. It is. It, yeah, brings you joy. And I would encourage you to get to church on Sunday. Get to church. Uh, even if you're not feeling like it, worship collectively, corporately is important. It's important. And not every week feels important, but the habit of being together in worship is is essential, I would say, to the Christian faith. And so uh, let me encourage you, if you're not a part of a church, go find a church. Go try one out. Check one out. Uh you could go if you're in the Downers Grove area. I would love to 
have you at my church, Four Corners Community Church down in South Downers Grove, Darien. But regardless of where you are, Google it. Find a church that kind of fits what you're looking for and go check it out this week. All right, I want to talk about parenting. The Gospel Coalition weighed in on something called uh, gentle parenting. All right, it's this idea, and you'll see it a lot on TikTok and Instagram and parenting books. Uh, A lot of gentle parenting is, you'll see it, it's trying to deal with kids' feelings as opposed to how a lot of us were raised, just you do this, you don't do this, punishments and whatever else. And uh, gentle parenting is defined in this gospel coalition this way. Gentle parenting is hard to define in one crisp sentence, jump into the world of gentle parenting, and you'll find a constellation of related practical suggestions rather than a grand unified theory. He says some of the practical hints, tips uh, are actually insightful. Instead of issuing an instruction that may lead to a confrontation, present your toddler with a choice. Instead of worsening a nasty atmosphere between two toddlers, diffuse the tension with playfulness. Instead of removing the child's pacifiers unexpectedly with a grim tear off the band-aid attitude, set a day when the passy fairy to come and collect the pacifiers. He says, the author says, I love these suggestions and I love the general principle of being aware of children's feelings and seeking creative ways to avoid treading on them unnecessarily. If gentle parenting were just a mood board for solving parenting difficulties in non-confrontational ways, the author says I'd have nothing to say against it. But when you dig more deeply into the underlying concepts of gentle parenting, you find at least two that stand opposed to the Bible's teachings about parenting. So. Uh, we're going to talk about these here in a second, but it's this concept in parenting. And I think about this in a pendulum, right? The the pendulum, there, there was a day, a generation, two generations ago, uh, lots of spanking, uh, lots of distance, especially between fathers and their children, uh, especially dads were not to be touchy-feely. It was more kind of gruff. And now I think the pendulum has swung in some people's minds too far. So this author wants to give two unbiblical concepts. I want to read these and I want to give my overall thought here. He says the first unbiblical concept is that bad behavior is caused by feelings produced by environmental external factors. When parents respond negatively to challenging behavior, uh, It worsens the stress, so the theory says, on the child, thereby escalating and perpetuating. If, by contrast, parents validate feelings, they give children emotional and physiological space in which they can draw from their own goodness to regulate behavior. So that's the first unbiblical concept, he says. The second is this. Uh, it rewards punish and punishments only rewards and punishments only modify surface behavior without addressing inner feelings. And so. As you could guess, Gospel Coalition, they're going to go into the value of punishment, the value of discipline, the biblical rootings of discipline, uh, and why children need discipline in their life. Understood. I get it. I really do. Uh, Gentle parenting can go really too far. You see this, right? You're in a store and a kid is throwing a tantrum and you're like, gosh, you got to like discipline that children, that child. But I also think way too many parents are discipline focused. But I want to put the issue of gentle parenting in and of itself aside and say this about parenting. My kids are older now, 14, 16, and 20. Uh, we're, we're bearing the, 
the fruit of a lot of our parenting decisions now from when they were younger. Uh, I'd like to think mostly good, uh, but no parenting strategy is perfect. What I would say is this. What I grow tiresome of is people telling other people how to parent. I don't think there is any one correct way to parent your children. And in fact, like our family has three kids. I probably wish I realized earlier in life as a dad that there was no one way to parent my three children. That each of my three children required some different approaches, not altogether different. I needed to have consistency with how we parented our children. My wife and I did, but how we parented Madeline and how we parented Jackson and how we parented Emily on a day-to-day basis was and continues to have some differences. And so I, I, I get really annoyed by the mommy blogs, by the many books of people who you know, have young kids all the way up to Gospel Coalition articles telling you, this is how to parent. I don't need anybody, quite frankly, to tell me how to parent my kids. Now, I do think in this article, there are correct principles. Uh, You have to, you got to know what does discipline look like in our home, how the importance of discipline, and when kids have bad behavior, what are you going to do? But don't tell me how to discipline. One family might spank while the other family might use timeouts while the other family might use, you know, rewards and things taken away. And it works for them. I don't think you need to tell me how to discipline. Sure, we could talk about the need for discipline. And again, some kids are super headstrong and type A, and they need a certain type, while others are super sensitive uh, and, and need a different handle. If you're a parent out there, and you're struggling with, am I parenting the right way? My kids are little, am I doing it right? Am I doing it right? Can I just hopefully give you just a deep breath here and say, you know your children. You know what your children need. Don't listen to the blogs and the books. Yes, take principles, take good ideas. But in the end, along with your spouse, make decisions. You know, This is how we're going to parent our children. When our kids were super little, Uh, There were people who they were proponents and disciples of the cry it out method. This is how you get your kid to sleep. Fine. Understood. That worked for you. What worked in our house? We let our kids sleep in our bed for many for a long time. We did. did, We did it differently. And people used to like get mad that we didn't. I was always like, why do you care The decisions, the practical decisions we're making in our home. Like we were probably much more, quote unquote, gentle parents than many people uh, that we knew. Our kids turned out just great. But so did their kids. There's not one pathway. And so if you're one of those people who like lectures other people on how they should parent, just stop. Don't do that. Encourage them. Early parenthood especially is difficult. Encourage them. If they ask your advice, how would you do it? Give them your advice. But parents out there, like your job is to raise your kids in a way that fits your family, that's biblically sound. Point them to Jesus. Yes, discipline, encourage, love, 
all of that. Just be the best parent you can be and let that be enough. Uh, and enough of us telling people this is how you should parent. I don't know what your house is like. So do what you need to do uh, and just parent well. All right, coming up next, we're going to close out the week, close out the show uh, by a quote that I read on Twitter that I want to bring to us next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. My name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today. As we close out a Friday show, I, uh, I, I really hope that you... Uh, have a great weekend. You use it for family time. You use it for relaxing time. Get some stuff done in the house. I love, I'm, I'm a very, not a handy person, but I love on Saturday, just going to Home Depot for something. Just going to Home Depot. And again, uh, selfishly, if you could be praying for our family, a big weekend for us as we say goodbye to our daughter as she goes off to study abroad for the next four months. I couldn't be more excited for her. Uh, but you could pray for her. Her name is Madeline. Uh, this is a big deal for her. She, in her words, I'm so freaking excited. But you could also pray for myself and my wife and my other two kids as we just kind of, you know, say farewell and trust that all's going to go well. And we're praying and we're excited. I can't wait to hear her stories. And the beauty of the world that we live in is uh, WhatsApp, texting. Uh, Skype and FaceTime, we will, it's not as if we will not talk to her on a regular basis. So excited for that. I'm sure I'll have stories to share along the way. But as we close, a lot of times we do it in ways we want to encourage you or we want to challenge you. And this one's a challenge, all right? This is Jared Wilson. He is a, a pastor for preaching. He is also the, uh, a prof and an author in residence, host of the For the Church podcast. You can find him at Jared C. Wilson. He writes this. I'll tell you what's not sustainable. The scorched earth factiousness passing for, quote, doctrinal courage in our evangelical tribes. When the moral chaos of the world goes off the inevitable cliff, will they find a church ready to help or a bunch of divisive, trigger happy weirdos? That is, uh, I feel like that one needs to be read again. Here we go. I'll tell you what's not sustainable. The scorched earth factiousness passing for, quote, doctrinal courage in our evangelical tribes. When the moral chaos of the world goes off the inevitable cliff, they will find a church. Will they find a church ready to help or a bunch of divisive, trigger-happy weirdos? There's so much to unpack there. Let's do it. Scorched earth factiousness passing for doctrinal courage in our evangelical tribes. This is the amount of just lines in the sand being drawn of us going and then just the infighting, right? We talked about this with Aaron Wren earlier when we said it used to be the quote unquote battle used to be about uh, Christians and the secular world and non-Christians. Now it often feels like Christians versus Christians about things that they disagree on. And many people hold this to be, quote unquote, as Jared Wilson said, doctrinal courage. But this reminds me of the story we've been talking about. We talked about earlier today, the story of Alistair Begg. 
that many people are are to use a, a, a term that is all too often in our in our lingo today. Many people are canceling Alistair Begg now. He's just been kicked off of American Family Association's uh, host of radio stations. Not over some orthodox fundamental issue, but over something he said about whether a grandmother should go to her grandson's trans wedding. I think that's what Jared Wilson is talking about here. That inevitably, as the world continues to spiral, they, they should be able to then look at the church for stability, for answers, point to the truth. But instead, there's so much infighting going on that Jared Wilson's point is, what are they actually going to find? He calls it divisive, trigger-happy weirdos. This idea of doctrinal courage, I had this conversation with somebody recently. I would suggest this. There is not uh, the conviction and unity are not at odds with one another. Conviction and unity are not at odds with one another. Unity is not uniformity. But friends, Jesus prays in John 17, right before he gets arrested and goes ends up at the cross. He prays for the unity of the church. He prays for the unity of his followers. Now, there are things that divide, namely, who is Jesus? But I think we have made dividing issues out of many things that are not called to be dividing issues. We're called to be passionate about them and to and to have opinions or to have thoughts. But think about this. So many people say, well, my conviction is my conviction is this. And they they have their conviction so deeply about so many things that everything becomes tribal. Now, we even have convictions about politics and things like that, that then. All of these convictions line up that we only have unity with a very small tribe of people who agree with everything that we agree with. Can we have unity around even things that we disagree about? And when we have unity around things that we disagree about, what's that say to the world around us? Again, conviction is not at odds with unity. The church, what is our witness right now as the world looks at us? Do they see us divisive and dividing? Scorched earth factiousness in our evangelical tribes? Is that what they're going to find? What does unity look like? Again, there are things convictionally as Orthodox Christians that are dividing. Again, the resurrection, the, the historicity of the resurrection. But man, think about the number of things. The fact that Alistair Begg is being canceled, that at this moment, as I read this off of Twitter, Alistair Begg is trending on Twitter right now. And when you click on it, many people are talking about the need to quote unquote cancel him. I'm so disappointed. You can disagree with him, but this does not make him off the reservation. But our evangelical tribes have become, the, the walls have become so high and entrenched that we can't get past ourselves. 
and we call it in the name of doctrinal courage. You know who has doctrinal courage? Alistair Begg. But you wouldn't know it by reading these things from people. And the question becomes, what do people see of the church? What will the reputation of the church be? When, in Jared Wilson's words, the moral chaos of the world goes off the inevitable cliff, will the church be there to help pick up the pieces? Or will people look at the church and just go, there's not a chance that I could fit in there? I'll tell you what's not sustainable. The tweet says the scorched earth factiousness passing for doctrinal courage in our evangelical tribes. When the moral chaos of the world goes off the cliff, they will find a Will they find a church ready to help or a bunch of divisive trigger happy weirdos? It's really something to wrestle with. I think that's a good word. What does divide? What does conviction say where, where this divides us and where have we started drawing Uh, Where have we started putting up walls that just don't require it? Something to think about as we go about our weekend. Well, I hope that you have a great weekend. Uh, Again, take some time to listen to the podcast if you've missed any of our shows. But also, join me again on Monday from 4 until 6 as we're right back here uh, wrestling with the topics of the day, hopefully encouraging and pointing people to Jesus. Until then, we hope that you have a great weekend, and we'll be back again on Monday from 4 until 6. My name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to The Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.